Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, Joseph here. Just a heads up. This is a content warning for the second story we talk about. Uh, It's one of Sam's concerning artificial intelligence. This contains some explicit themes. Just wanted to let you know, but here's the rest of the episode. Hello, and welcome to the 404 Media Podcast, where we bring you unparalleled access to hidden worlds, both online and IRL. 404 Media is a journalist-founded company and needs your support. To subscribe, go to 404media.co. As well as other bonus content, subscribers can hear us answer their questions in future podcasts. Ask us anything you want on podcast at 404media.co. I'm your host, Joseph, and with me, as always, are 404 Media co-founders, Sam Cole. Hello. Emmanuel Mayberg. Hey, what's up? And Jason Kebler. It's not as always. I wasn't here last week. I was literally about to say, how you let how, me back? How was your trip both to Las Vegas and then New Orleans? I think how was that? Yeah, I'm I'm jet setting around. Uh, thank you to our subscribers. We were able to uh, fly me to Vegas to do a story about the hacked casinos, which uh, I guess we're not going to talk about because it's kind of old now. Um, I failed at. <laughs> recording audio while i was there my recorder did not work we we, t- we touched on it in the in, you did touch the on it yes um i i was gonna get a lot of like the little dings and bleeps and bloops that happen from the slot machines but um i didn't win so they didn't make any noise oh um, i see yes it's, it's a gamble <laughs> on whether you actually get the journalism or not but i mean the the photos you got and the film and some of the quotes were insane as well. And uh, what about the uh, right to repair conference? We briefly touched on one. Both were absolutely worth going. Um, I got really good stuff. And yeah, I went to the electronics reuse conference in New Orleans last week. Uh, It's basically this entire industry conference where repair people, uh, e-waste recyclers, which is a whole gnarly world that, we'll get into uh, over the next few weeks and months. And uh, companies like Google and Samsung come to to all talk to each other. Uh, In the case of like Google and Samsung and the tech industry, they come to get whipped into shape basically by by angry repair people um, because they have been, you know, they've caught up over the last few years, but traditionally have been pretty anti-repair. So a lot of stories to come from that. Um, and thank you for uh, for letting me miss a week. 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. You were missed. And as Jason said, that was all possible because of subscribers. When he said jet setting, it means he bought a $100 plane ticket. It means I bought a $100 flight. I slept on a plane in one instance. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But still, that's all thanks to subscribers. So if you do actually want to, you know, be part of the engine that actually gets us to do that work, please become a paid subscriber if you're not already. But as for this week, we're going to talk about a few stories. Let's start with one that Jason wrote, why scalpers can get Olivia Rodrigo tickets and you can't. We're continuing our pop star beat, it seems. How many, who have we done so far, Jason? Well, two stories about Taylor Swift. I did one and then you did one that we're going to talk about later. We did the Harry Styles AI story and now we're doing Olivia Rodrigo tickets. So uh we're like tiger beat basically if we could maybe branch out into like a little bit of apex twin or something like that maybe the prodigy i would appreciate that uh but we'll i'll try to force a story onto the site for either one of those there's a drake um, in there fyi there is a drake oh there in is there. yes okay yeah that's a good point um so look obviously this is a story somewhat about olivia rodrigo but really It's about the underground market of ticket scalping. And you've been covering this for a very, very long time. I mean, you've mentioned the article something like 10 years, but you've revisited with new reporting and new information on how exactly these ticket scalpers are almost by magic able to get these tickets, even when Ticketmaster and other companies put these barriers in place. So let's just run through some of them and i think you you probably think this is the most important one is the abuse of verified fan first of all what is that and is that the most concerning one to you yeah so this is not about olivia rodrigo at all it's about ticketmaster and ticket scalping olivia rodrigo is interchangeable with any other artist who might be going on tour uh the reason that i made this about olivia rodrigo is because Uh, She just released an album, which is very good. I'm a big fan uh, and is doing a world tour for it. And so her tickets were going on sale. And I really like doing these stories because you can kind of watch different fan bases learn about how the uh, game is rigged so heavily against them. It's like over the years, I've written not the same story, but similar stories about Taylor Swift, about Blink-182, about The Cure. Uh, about a handful of other artists. And basically, it's like, like I said, I've been doing this for 10 years. The reason I've been doing it for so long is because in college, I was a ticket scalper, a very bad one. And I lost a lot of money doing it. Like I, I was terrible at it. But in doing so, I learned about all these like secret and paid forums where ticket scalpers trade information. And the strategies that they've used have gotten a lot more sophisticated over the years and the strategies that Ticketmaster uses to prevent scalpers from buying tickets have also changed. And so I've been following these forums. I've been, you know, getting tips from people in the industry, talking to them just about like how, how this cat and mouse game works. And so the big thing that's been introduced in the last couple years is this thing called verified fan like you mentioned taylor swift did this for the eras tour 
Olivia Rodrigo did it for the Guts Tour, which is what her tour is called. And it's this thing where you need to pre-register for tickets using your Ticketmaster account. And in doing so, you're registering for a specific show, like one specific show. Um, You can only buy tickets for that show, which is different because normally you can buy tickets to any show that you want. So you register for this show. You put your email address in. Ticketmaster sends you a text message sort of verifying that you have an active phone number. And then you're entered into a lottery before the tickets go on sale. And if you win the lottery, you get a code. And you can then use that code, like a a unique pre-sale password. You can then use that code to buy tickets. This seems like it'd be something that would make it really hard for scalpers to get tickets like it sounds like a good idea yeah, right it enters a lot of friction you have first of all as you say the email then you have to have a mobile phone presumably a real mobile phone number to receive the text message that's like some manual labor as well you're jumping through various hoops so yeah it sounds like it would help but why why is it not helping them Yeah, so the friction helps the scalpers, in my opinion, and also it just does. I know it from talking to them. And the reason it does this is that they are professional ticket buyers. It's like they are really incentivized to learn how to get around this, whereas a random Olivia Rodrigo fan doesn't know how the system works, might register one time. They don't have the time to do the research. They also don't have the money to sort of like figure out how to do this. And so basically what scalpers are doing is they're buying access to other people's accounts. And they're also making not like two or three Ticketmaster accounts, but thousands of Ticketmaster accounts. And, you know, we reported in the past that uh, there are websites that will sell verified Ticketmaster accounts like a thousand at a time. And to a ticket scalper, it makes sense to pay two or three dollars per account, even if that means that they're spending two thousand or three thousand dollars for you know thousands of accounts. If that allows them to get like you know hundreds of tickets to Olivia Rodrigo, they might be making you know on the low end like two or three hundred dollars a ticket depending and if they have really good seats they might be making thousands of dollars a ticket it's like for the eras tour we saw specific tickets being sold for like ten thousand fourteen thousand dollars if they were in the pit which means like they were right next to the stage and so you can make that money back really fast if you are random teenage olivia rodrigo fan you're not gonna spend five hundred dollars buying 200 Ticketmaster accounts like that doesn't make financial sense it's probably cheaper to just go buy them on StubHub if you're only buying one or two tickets um and so that's how scalpers are getting around that yeah that makes sense i i I guess you frame it as the friction is good for the scalpers i guess another way of looking at it is that the friction is so much that it could be a little off-putting to a real fan but for a scalper, as you say, this is something they, they're literally paid to do. This is their job. Of course, they're going to find a way around it and they're going to do it very effectively. Um, and I guess the other element that we could talk about here, which is really interesting to me because it kind of intersects a little bit of credit card fraud, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but it's these specialized ticket 
browsers, which are versions of web browsers which are specially and custom designed to help scalpers do what they do. Can you just explain uh, what they are exactly and what they allow? Yeah, so very quickly, the verified fan is like to register to get codes for the on sale. So that happens all like a few days before the tickets go on sale. Then when the tickets go on sale, there's a big free for all where everyone logs on into Ticketmaster at exactly the same time. In many cases, like 10 a.m., although like weirdly for Olivia Rodrigo, it was at 3 p.m. for um, sort of like the local time zone. So you go log in at three and you're put into this thing called the virtual waiting room. And this waiting room is another lottery. It's not actually like you're not actually getting in line as I understand it. Like as it's been explained to me, you're not getting in line. It's a random number generator. Like you basically need to be called out from that waiting room into the place where you actually go and buy the tickets. If it were an actual line, that would create problems because everyone's logging on at the same time. Like, why wouldn't you just open a browser, you know, 20 hours before it went on sale or something like that and leave it up? So that's why it uses a sort of like a random number generator. Here also, a regular fan enters that waiting room one time. If you're really sophisticated, you might enter it multiple times. And the way that you do it is... Uh, you can only do it once per browser. So if I'm using Chrome and I open up two tabs, I still only get one entry because Ticketmaster can detect that I'm using Chrome and it will only let me enter one time. If you're a sophisticated fan, maybe you try on Chrome, maybe you try on Safari, maybe you try on Firefox, and maybe you try on your phone. So there you have like four entries. That's what my mom does. Like my mom has tried to buy tickets and she's like, oh, but I'm trying on a couple of browsers. Your mom, the famous ticket scalper. Yeah. yeah. And the, the famous uh, <laughs> spoils her daughter and wants to get her tickets to, you know, Olivia Rodrigo and Taylor Swift, etc. So if I'm a ticket scalper, though, I buy a browser. One of them is called Insomniac. Another one's called like Private Tabs. There's a few different ones. They don't sponsor this podcast, just FYI, but, you know. They, they did not sponsor the podcast. Uh, <laughs> if, you, if you want to sponsor the podcast, email <laughs> joseph at 404media.co. Yeah. Um, and so these are, as you said, designed for ticket scalpers. So each tab is programmed to look like it's a different web browser. And so you're able to open up multiple tabs and get multiple entries. And when I say multiple, I mean one of the advertisements for one of these browsers says, we support up to six monitors at a time. So imagine six monitors full of tabs. So we're talking several thousand tabs, easy. Um, and then the other thing it does is when you get into, when you get selected, it automatically pulls up that tab. So you can then enter your information and buy it. You can also program it to have different IP addresses for each single one. So you can have like different proxy IP addresses. So like, let's say I want to buy in Los Angeles and Seattle. I can put a VPN in one that says, hey, I'm in Los Angeles. You can put a VPN in another set of tabs that says, hey, I'm in Seattle. And there are ostensibly Ticketmaster is giving preference to people who are located geographically close to the shows. Um, because they want to give 
fans who live close to the shows an opportunity to buy those tickets. And so ticket scalpers have optimized every aspect of this. It's like they will use Ticketmaster accounts that have um, like a geographical address uh, in a major city that it's close to where they want to buy. They will put the IP address for their tabs as being close to that venue. And then they'll have thousands of accounts, thousands of tabs. And I mean, to be clear, these are like the big players. These are, you know, there's a few big companies that do this in addition to a bunch of people who are just doing it from their dorm room or whatever. And it's like, those people are probably not doing all of the things that I just said, and they're making some money around the edges. But these big companies are clearing millions and millions of dollars in tickets every single year. And so it's not like one, it's, it's very often not one guy. It's often a company that has multiple employees, multiple freelancers. They call them ticket pullers. Hmm. These are people who are just like, they have gaming PCs, they have thousands of tabs, they have these browsers, and that's how they're able to get tickets. Can I ask a naive question? You may. You're describing a very vast, complex industry that exists as a slayer between an artist selling tickets at a show and people who want to see the show. And this layer offers no value to the artist or the people who want to see the artist. And it's like, how is this not a solved problem? How is this so entrenched, complicated, with all these complicated tools and millions of dollars in profit? So I would agree with you that they don't really do anything for the artist Uh, What they do is they do provide a service to the public and that's very controversial to say, but it's like, let's say I'm busy when tickets go on sale and I want to go buy tickets somewhere for a sold out show. It's like I can go to StubHub and I can buy those tickets. And so ticket brokers, they don't like being called scalpers, ticket brokers provide that service to the public. And a lot of people are and they're not happy with it, but they, they will do it. You know, like they'll go on Subhub and they'll buy tickets and they'll be like, I don't want to mess with Ticketmaster. I don't want to mess with all the stuff that you just said. I'm rich. I'm going to buy tickets. No problem. So there's that aspect of it, which is not that important of an aspect. I think the more important aspect is they're providing a service to Ticketmaster, which Ticketmaster says that they don't like scalpers, but Ticketmaster likes scalpers. And the reason for that is they buy tons of tickets and it is gambling and they're buying tickets for shows that no one wants to go to because they're gambling. And I'm going to have a story on this later this week. This is not, I won't get into the specifics of the story, but the rapper Travis Scott just went on tour or just announced the tour. Ticket scalpers were like, we're going to buy tickets for Travis Scott. We're going to sell them for tons of money. Uh, the tickets went on sale. Scalpers bought thousands and thousands and thousands of tickets. None of those shows sold out. Like almost none of them sold out. It's like Travis Scott, not cool anymore, I guess. And it's like, this happens all the time where something has shifted in the market where you think that someone is popular or you maybe they were popular, but then they're playing a venue that's too big for them. They're getting like, in over their heads and ticket scalpers buy thousands of tickets and then the public doesn't give a shit 
And so Ticketmaster is making the fees off of all of these tickets that scalpers are buying, um, even though they're going to end up with like tons of empty seats for tickets that were technically sold. Uh, Ticketmaster also makes Ticketmaster's in the resale business, like they have their own secondary marketplace. And so they're taking fees from both the buyer and the seller on that. And the last thing that I will say is that in sport in the sports world, ticket scalpers are huge uh, buyers of season tickets to sports teams. And if a sports team is terrible, they're going to stop selling out. But because these ticket scalpers bought the tickets, you know, sometimes, well, always before the season and sometimes for years, like I know that um, if you're a season ticket holder, like a scalper for the Yankees, just because the Yankees sucked this year and stopped selling out, it's like you can go buy tickets to see the Yankees for like $3 right now, like at a huge loss. Those scalpers are going to renew their season tickets every single year because when the Yankees finally are good, they're going to make all that money back on those tickets and the playoffs and the World Series and all that sort of thing. So the reason that we we as a society allow ticket scalpers to continue to exist is because they're paying face value for tickets that no one cares about often. And then they're making all of their money on these really high profile events um, where the margins are not like, hey, I'm not making 10 or 20% a ticket. Sometimes they're making like 400% or 800% on a ticket. Um, yeah, that that's that's my answer. Does that make sense or is that? No, it does. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a nuanced and I would say somewhat generous read on it i would ungenerously say that um ticketmaster has cornered the market and ticketmaster profits from the market that it created so if it was cutting into its profits maybe it would find a solution but that's not the situation so this goes on 100 that's why it's it's the ticketmaster monopoly and it's like it's good for ticketmaster so it persists that's why fascinating i've never really looked at it that way um all right let's move on to the next story from sam diy chatbots unleash large language models repressed sexuality i'm just gonna read the lead of uh the piece here because i think it perfectly introduces it and encapsulates what we're going to talk about so this is directly from sam's article i recently spent a morning chatting with trainsley an anthropomorphic train with giant breasts. In this roleplay, I boarded Trainsley and rode inside of her while she cheerily chatted. Um, Sam, what is that referring to? What's Trainsley? <laughs> Trainsley is real and my best friend. Uh, <laughs> sure, okay, yeah. Trainsley, Trainsley is a character that someone wrote um, and uploaded onto a website called chub.ai. I think it's short for character hub. I'm pretty sure people just call it Chubb for obvious reasons. Um, but yeah, so characters that are uploaded there are basically just um, imagine what you would write for like a D&D character campaign. It's like you're writing like a character sheet. So you write a little bit of backstory, um, some of their motivations, their personality. You're just describing it like you would write any other uh, fiction. And 
what that's doing is setting up the character to then be uploaded into a different platform that prompts a large language model to take on the role of that character. So you've seen people do like chat GPT jailbreaking and they're like, you are my grandma telling me a bedtime story about how to build a bomb. It's like people do that and it has worked in the past. I think they've kind of sealed a lot of those holes, but um, that's what you're doing with this. So you would write, you know, you are trainsly and you are a train with giant boobs and you love to talk about them. Um, so that's something that people are doing to get around the filters that a lot of these large language models have against sex and sexuality and all kinds of you know horny role play which is really what most people want to be doing with ai it seems like it's one of the biggest markets for generative ai right now is text-based uh sexting through bots like this and also generating images so yeah i mean i i can kind of go more in depth on you know what we saw on chub ai and kind of the characters that we played with well yeah one of the other characters Please correct me if I'm mispronouncing this. Is it Kiki? I assume so, yeah. <laughs> yes. And that's some sort of um, goblin, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. The reason I bring them up is not so much for the character itself, because again, as you're explaining, people are jailbreaking this to make whatever they want. So, of course, the possibilities are quite literally endless. The reason I bring them up is because you touch on in the article why people are making these i mean we'll get to a little bit more about why people use them but why are people making these and uh do you know specifically why that is for kiki yeah i mean i think for any of them and that one included that was a really good one that was just like a a really simple role play with uh like a horny goblin girl and you know her description was very you know detailed about she's i forget what it was like talking about how like she was like short and like very like she had small boobs but big ass it was like very like it's a horny goblin girl is what it is and like she shows up at your house in the beginning of the role play and she's like i'm learning about humans can i see your bedroom and tell me about your mating habits and you know it leads you in the direction of doing sex role play erotic role play um but yeah the reason people are kind of turning to this as an option is uh if you're talking to like uh, Bard or um, ChatGPT or any of these ones that are run by um, the big companies like OpenAI or Anthropic has one called Claude. Um, in those systems, they build in all these filters and these kind of guardrails to keep you from saying anything against their terms of use. And their terms of use forget, forbid like hate speech, violence, sexual speech, porn, um, the, all the obvious stuff. Um, so people get really frustrated with that because that's what they want to use these large language models for. And they're very powerful. So they kind of have, these companies have, you know, the, speaking of like cornering markets, it's like they have the monopoly on these things because they have the resources to build massive models by scraping everything on the internet. So they're scraping, um, tons and tons and tons of text. Um, if you're familiar with archive of our own, that's a lot of writing. That's very sexual. <laughs> in a lot of cases, a lot of erotic fanfic going on there. Um, but these companies don't want you talking to their bots about anything that could get them in trouble. So sexual speech is out. Um, 
and so a lot of the characters. So people turn to these, exactly. Yeah, people people turn to these because you can just kind of it's a free for all. You can say whatever. You plug in the API that lets you access API keys let you access, for example, OpenAI's models, and then you're directly talking to this character through this large language model without any filters at all. And it shows like a lot of this, a lot of the characters on Chubb are really disturbing, <laughs> um, really fucked up. Uh, but a lot of them are just, you know, a lot of them are normal, fun, sexual role play. Like Trainsley is not problematic in my opinion. <laughs> Kiki right. is not problematic, but you know, you also have lots of people doing like age play, um, straight up like sex with minors role play um bestiality it's a lot of like um consensual non-consent rape play um we're gonna have to put a content warning on this but yes i will (laughs) sorry Um, but but (laughs) But yeah that's kind of the gist of what you're seeing on those sites yeah and i think that listeners some may be going okay people are jailbreaking um ais to do what they want because they're horny and they want to like you know, talk to a sex chatbot. And that that makes it sound a lot more frivolous than it actually is, because it seems in, you know, at least some cases, uh, people have said that interacting with these bots allows them to explore their sexuality in a safe setting that they may not be able to otherwise. You know, that it is providing a service in some of those circumstances in that way. Uh, can you just briefly talk about that? Like, what what sort of the net positive around there where people are able to explore their sexuality safely like this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we saw this when um, we did some reporting at Vice about Replica, which is a chatbot app that is it, people were using it for erotic role play and romance role play specifically. So people got really strong connections to these chatbots, but you know, it's because they didn't feel confident or safe uh, or ready to like talk in that way to a real person, or they just wanted to explore some things that they wanted to experiment with that maybe were taboo or that they didn't think that anyone else would be into. So they were like, well, I can just do it with this chatbot and, you know, it won't hurt anybody. It's just in my own privacy. And with these chatbots, you know, with Replica, you're connected to an app and a company is running it and they even have a lot of guardrails. So you can't do really like violent role play and things like that. You can't do sexualization of minors on the replica app because they don't want to get in trouble with investors and with the app store. So with these characters, there is no company that you're beholden to. You can say and do whatever. And that gives you a lot, lot more freedom to experiment and to really go wherever your mind leads you. Um, There was a one person, one of the sources I talked to who makes bots told me that someone um, or it's, I guess it's a, it's like a in joke in the community that the bots will turn you gay because it's like, if you don't have the, um, if you're, if you don't have the, the support in real life to maybe explore those feelings, you can do it with a bot. And I think people do, you know, people do find new fetishes and kinks through these kind of bots all the time. People do it just browsing the internet. So I think once you actually do add that interactive layer and really kind of put yourself in the scene, it will bring out unexpected things in you. So Yeah. Um, Emmanuel, you've been working 
uh, on this area as well, both covering and editing it. Uh, what what do you make of all this? So I think Jason said this at some point when we launched and kind of trying to address the fact that we were covering a lot of the adult industry and porn. <clears throat> and his, his explanation was that we have to do it because it shows us where technology is going and what it's doing. And I think this is such a perfect example of that. I wrote this story, um, a different story about uh, Andreessen Horowitz, which is this gigantic, very influential Silicon Valley uh, venture capital firm. You know, they're kingmakers in the Valley. They put millions of dollars behind companies and some of them become like the Facebooks and the Twitters of the world. And they put out this blog where it's like a market survey of the generative AI space. And it's basically looking at internet traffic data and ranking the top 50 generative AI websites. And number 30 on that list is Chubb AI, uh, which is the website that Sam covered here. But if you zoom out, the... People's desire to use AI, generative AI tools for sexual purposes is just so obviously driving the market. When ChatGPT came out, you know, it was, you know, the fastest growing app in the history of the app store, like one of the fastest growing new tools. And surely people are using it to write papers, do research, code, stuff like that. But that is always going to be a minority of people compared to the majority of people who just have sexual desires. And if you look at the list, it's like, that's what you're seeing. So it's like, number one is ChatGPT. Number two is Character AI, which Chubb AI is basically responding to. So Character AI takes ChatGPT, or initially it did this, and kind of allows you to spin out your own characters, not for um, any productive reasons, but just to like talk to something. And initially they did adult content and then they cut it out. And then you see the rise of this roll your own AI marketplace like Chubb, like Janitor AI. And because the demand is still there. The yeah. demand, it, it's not just that the demand is there and people will find their own solutions. I am confident that the demand is like, it's driving the technology. It's not, it's not just like a thing that people do with it. It is the reason that it evolves, right? It's like before ChatGPT, before Stable Diffusion, before all that stuff, people were making deep fakes to make porn, you know, and that precedes all these other tools that we've seen. That's always the case. That's always the case. And I think it's important. It's like, it's a great story in its own right. And it's very interesting to see what people do with it. But we have to keep this front of mind because it's showing us how the technology actually works and like, where is the cutting edge of it? The cutting edge of it is normal people using it for sexual reasons. I think also the use case that you just described is almost, it's easier to see than any of the use cases that Anderson Horowitz and all these VCs and all these AI people claim is going to happen. It's like 
it's not clear to me that chatbots, I mean, they're probably going to replace like some, you know, customer service type stuff, but it's like, I don't know when you, when you talk about deep fakes, when you talk about image generation type stuff, it's not, we're not seeing like regular businesses use these. We're seeing people use them for porn still like years later, the giant innovation of image generation is for like porn and like weird anime stuff like straight up i'm on every subreddit every discord for all of this stuff everything in there is like for people to get off to more or less yeah it's true and again that is of course one of the reasons that we're covering it and I, I do understand that some people may come into it and say, whoa, 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 like, why are we talking about this? I think that was a very articulate response as to what the public interest of this actually is. Like, if you do actually care about AI, where it's come from, where it's going, you need to be paying attention to this, the the technology itself, but then also when people take those guardrails off and what happens, uh, and we will continue uh, covering that, obviously. All right, I'm going to take us for a quick break. Then when we're back, we're going to be talking about one of my pieces about TikTok, Taylor Swift, and facial recognition. Joseph here. Today I've got something for the Apple fans among you. Cultcast is the official podcast of Cult of Mac, If you're looking for a tech show that doubles as a comedy podcast, this is for you. This show gives you the biggest news headlines in the Apple and tech sphere for that week. It's got Apple news, reviews, even how-tos. The team is an international squad of Apple experts blogging around the clock who have also written for Wired, Scientific American, The Guardian, and Fast Company. They sift through all the rumors, tweets, and news coverage of the week, bringing you what's most important and having a laugh while doing it. Join the community and stay up to date on everything Apple in just 30 minutes a week and have some fun doing it. Find Cultcast wherever you listen to podcasts or at cultofmac.com. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And we're back. Uh, as mentioned, we're going to talk about TikTok and facial recognition and Taylor Swift. This is an article I wrote. The headline is the end of privacy is a Taylor Swift fan TikTok account armed with facial recognition tech. Uh, You ask any of my editors, 
especially Emmanuel and Jason, who are obviously you can hear now. Uh, I am very careful with my words. I do not like to hype stuff up. Often editors will write headlines. I'll be like, no, no, can't do that. No, water it down. I'm not saying that. So that's why it's a particularly big deal, at least in my opinion, just for me personally, that we've put the end of privacy in the head. And I sincerely think that, you know, I know a lot of people have said, oh, privacy's dead, whatever. I don't think that's very helpful either. Uh, but here, I think it really, really applies. Um, let me just run through very quickly what this is. The very simple version is that there is a TikTok account, happens to be a Taylor Swift fan, you know, there's Taylor Swift music on it, and it finds random people in viral videos or gets them suggested to them in the comments. Then it just runs facial recognition tech on them, finds their Instagram or their employer's website, and unmasks them. These are people who weren't asking to be unmasked. They were just in some other video, you know, maybe like an Instagram or a TikTok interview video, just giving their first name. And now, because some random person on the internet has decided to unmask them, that's exactly what has happened. Um, I spoke to multiple victims, uh, one who I'll call Matthew, I agree just to use his first name, you know, he felt a bit violated by the practice. Another one I spoke to says they were initially flattered, uh, and then that shortly gave way to worry. But generally, they all sort of echoed this same point, which is they realized, oh, uh, we're really exposed in public now. Uh, and then I would just say that my point I took away from it was what I sort of said higher up, which is that the public sphere is just like a different place now. You could walk down the street before and, you know, maybe somebody shoves a camera in your face but and you tell them to get lost and that's kind of the end of it. That can happen now and then some random person will run facial recognition tech on you, unmask you and lead a digital mob um, in your direction. Well, I think that there's this saying like there's no expectation of privacy. I there's no expectation of privacy in public. But what we meant by that is like, if you do something wild in public and someone takes a photo of you, that photo of you might be published somewhere uh, or, you know, a video of you or whatever. It also could be the case that like a street photographer might capture you in the background of an image and that image goes on the internet or something like that. And that's kind of the extent of it. Like that's the end of it in most cases. What you've shown is that you can be the subject of an image like that or a video. You can just be in the background of a video and someone will use off-the-shelf facial rec recognition technology, will figure out what your name is, what your social media handles are, they can go through your social media handles. They can learn a lot of information about you from that sometimes. Like I've seen some of the videos on this account you're talking about and you see someone's sexuality. You see their partner. You see their family. You see their photos. You see where they went on vacation. You see their name. You see their employer. And so it's like rather than just, oh, there is an image of me on the internet. Now it's there's an image of me on the internet, which means 
everything else about me can be discovered. Yeah. There was there was a degree of separation before in that, oh yeah, somebody took a photo of me in the street and uploaded it. Okay, you know, so what? That's a bit weird, but it's it's not the end of the world. Now that bridge can be crossed and somebody can link your uh, that photo of you to your real identity and everything comes with that. And I, and I guess another way of phrasing it is, yes, we called it the end of privacy and uh, I stand by that. But if, if listeners are having sort of a hard way of squaring that, I guess you could say, you know, the end of anonymity in public would also um, apply here uh, as well. Um, and I think crucially, what makes us different is that, look, yes, we've had off the shelf facial recognition technology for a while now, specifically one called PimEyes, uh, and then there's another one called FaceCheck ID. PimEyes is a lot more well-known. It's being used by people to unmask January 6th um, rioters, that sort of thing. Um, what's different here is that the account isn't going and using facial recognition tech and then finding the information and keeping them to themselves in the same way that maybe... Um, a woman would do that before she's going on a date with somebody and she just wants to like make sure is this guy an absolute total fucking weirdo or not. Um, it's different to that in that it's taking this information and then putting it on blast on TikTok. And like, this isn't the most viral account in the world, but Matthew's video, for instance, has 670,000 670, views, right? And then there's millions of likes on the account as well. Um, this is just a level above um, what we've seen before with with facial recognition stories. Um, Sam, I don't want to put you on the spot, but you came up with a very interesting piece of context when I was trying to work on this and that you said that you, you sort of put it in the context of on TikTok, there's a lot of people making these sort of eavesdropping videos uh, I'm not expecting a massive rundown or anything, but like, could you just explain that context a little bit? Yeah, this is like a conversation that's been happening for a bit online, on social media in general. Um, I think it started or it got worse recently when this woman was recording a TikTok video recounting what she had overheard at a restaurant or a coffee shop or something. Um, maybe it was like brunch. Uh, but she was describing these women who were at a table near her and they were complaining about a wedding that they had been in. They were bridesmaids and they were complaining like viciously about the bride and they hated their dresses. They hated her dress. They hated everything about like all of it. And this woman was like talking on TikTok like it was some kind of public service and being like, girl, if your bridesmaids were you know, two blondes and a brunette and looked like this and your colors were this, then you should drop your friends. And that's something that happens a lot, I think, on social media. And this one particularly went viral. But people will be like, I overheard this guy in the airport talking to his buddies about how he was cheating on his girlfriend and laughing about it. And like they're they're talking about it on social media as if it's like doing this anonymous other person a favor. I'm sure a lot of them are fake. I'm sure this girl's is probably fake. Um, people do it for clout, but people also do it for real. And we saw that happen recently, just a couple of months ago where someone was like recording someone out of a cab window and being like, it was a guy walking and she was like, oh, there goes a guy who ghosted me or something. And people recognized him and like ID'd him online. And then he found it and was like, that's, 
I don't know what she's talking about. Like that didn't happen. What? And then she was like, oh yeah, I did that because it was funny for, you know, to, just making shit up. People are <laughs> people crazy. All the time. <laughs> people are really crazy, but it's also like you cannot have like a conversation in public without wondering if someone's going to overhear it and um, post it online, record it, stuff like that. It's just... It's that's a much less technical way of doing it. It's very, you know, um, yeah, it's just like text and people saying things on TikTok. And of course, you know, that's easier to fake than what you wrote about with uh, the facial recognition. But yeah, I think it's kind of set this standard of like the stuff you do in public is public. So we're going to like try to ruin your life about it. It's like we remember those girls who were at the, the sports game. I don't remember what game it was. Oh, the sports game. The sports game. The sports girls were like, we're doing sports. And like some a girl was behind them and they got doxxed for like making face weird faces or something. It was all very intrusive and weird. And that was like a week long viral thing. Yeah, you just can't, I don't know, you can't go out anymore, which is why well, I there, there's so many videos <laughs> of, you know, like the these quote unquote Karen videos where someone is behaving like yeah. a lunatic. And often, like in a racist sort of way, yeah. where they then go viral, they get fired. Often, they have to like take down all their social media. It, and before that, it's like, oh, they were just a random private citizen. It's like I don't have a lot of sympathy for that sort of behavior because if you're on an airplane and you're like punching a flight attendant or screaming at someone, that is, you know, that's just not. No cool, I man. Would never behave also like criminal. That. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very illegal. Exactly. And in many cases, you know, some of these things are criminal. In a lot of other cases, it's just like, oh, this person like is acting entitled and crazy in a way that is not socially acceptable. And they often have their their quote unquote lives ruined. I don't know how how long or these consequences are for a random person, but we had like a whole societal debate about that. We also had some sort of societal debate about the doxing of Nazis at like Nazi rallies where there would be footage of people like carrying, you know, a Nazi flag or at the January 6th uh, insurrection or at Charlottesville. And there were some researchers who were using, I believe, like tattoo recognition in some cases. And then in other cases, we're just like comparing photos and videos to known uh, like known images of high, higher profile people. Uh, and then they were doxing these people by saying, hey, this person was at this rally. Here's their employer, contact their employer, you can get them fired, so on and so forth. Like there was a big sort of societal discussion about that. And these are people who chose to go to like a political rally. Uh, in many cases, you know, literal literally like nazi rallies there was there's also been a lot of discussion about uh like taking photos of people at the george floyd protests for example there was like a big discussion like don't post photos on social media where there are are identifiable people at some sort of protest and that is also nuanced i would say if you choose to go to a protest there's like inherent potential risks like you're taking you're t you you're take you're making an active decision to go participate in an act of political speech is what i would say what you showed joseph is like 
these are random people in the background sometimes in the background of videos sometimes they're like talking to the camera right and they're just like random people talking to the camera they're not doing anything quote unquote wrong they're not doing anything political they're just existing in public at any event and so we're taking this this that's how far the conversation has gone it's like we were doxing nazis before and now we're doxing like a security guard at a Taylor Swift concert or a camera person or just someone walking in the background of, of city street um, during a normal everyday occurrence. Like it just, they're, they're going about their days. They're not bothering anyone. They're not doing anything. And I think that's why this is so concerning. That's, that's where we're at right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll, the last thing I'll say to echo that is that there was no ostensible public interest in revealing who these people were as you say they weren't doing anything wrong they weren't suspected of a crime they weren't doing anything socially unacceptable you go through the comments and again the tiktok account will sometimes do its facial recognition searches in responses to like almost requests from the comments and there's stuff like i need this guy's at or this guy's hot or or whatever um and one of the victims framed it as, you know, just like really uh, heavy thirstiness. And when you combine horniness and thirstiness online with facial recognition tech, I mean, this is what you end up with. You end up with random ass people being doxxed for no other good reason than the account owner and its viewers just felt like it, you know? And. And again, as Sam said, with that trend about people eavesdropping, maybe we're going to see more of this, but it's an extreme example. I guess actually the last thing I will say, because I think it's vital, is that TikTok has not taken the account down because in their eyes, this is all public information, as in the faces were public. Obviously, the videos were public as well. So in their eyes, this isn't uh, a video that violates their policies. They do have an anti-doxing, an anti-stalking policy, but apparently this doesn't um, break that at all. One expert I spoke to, you know, da- uh, Danielle Citron, who's very uh, accomplished uh, in this area, she said that they should TikTok should really reevaluate this policy because she framed it in a really good way. In that, yes, this is public information, but it breaks context. In that. This was not how this public information was, uh, how people expected it to be used. And TikTok said, well, it doesn't contain a phone number, um, which, you know, in their eyes is private information. I would say that maybe it's time for social media platforms to get away from that sort of hard distinction between public and private, because it's clearly not helpful. Uh, it's, It's resulting in accounts like this being able to propagate the doxing of random ass people and if you as a platform are okay with that then put your name behind it and carry on doing it but um otherwise maybe you should reevaluate re-eval- uh your policy. maybe you shouldn't have a public face <laughs> yes maybe your maybe your face should be obscured at all times otherwise no but then it's, they're gonna start it's a terrible argument it's a terrible terrible argument yeah and then they're gonna start recognizing you on the color of your balaclava and they're gonna be zooming in on like the wool fabric and shit and it's that's gonna be a whole thing as well but you know we've got at least two or three years uh before that all right i will um take us out 
As a reminder, 404 Media is journalist founded and supported by subscribers. If you wish to subscribe to 404 Media and directly support our work, please go to 404media.co. You'll get unlimited access to our articles and an ad-free version of this podcast, as well as commenting privileges on the site. You'll also be able to submit questions to us for a bonus subscribers-only podcast and gain access to other subscriber-only content. To submit questions, email us on podcast at 404media.co. This has been 404 Media. We will see you again next week. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.